You're listening to the Rotary Wing Show, a show for helicopter aircrew by helicopter aircrew. Each episode, we travel the world to hear from the people that fly and support helicopters to learn a little bit more about their stories and pick up some tips along the way. If you want to catch up on past shows or see photos from the interviews, head over to rotarywingshow.com. You can also subscribe on iTunes. Just search for Rotary Wing Show and get future episodes direct to your phone. I'm your host, Mick Cullen. Welcome back to the Rotary Wing Show from wherever you're listening from, uh, whatever corner of the world that you're in. And we're back here with more stories from the helicopter industry. So last month, we've had World Helicopter Day on the 20th of August. And again, just keeps growing year to year. So just reading off quickly here, the the list of places that were involved, we had a a site in Germany, in the UK, we had Northamptonshire, Nottinghamshire, Somerset, Kinloss, Leicestershire. In the US, it was uh, Hawaii, Pennsylvania, and New York. In Canada, we had uh, Quebec, Abbotsford, Australia, Perth, and Brisbane. Uh, There's a site in Hong Kong, and South Africa, Cape Town, and Johannesburg. So, again, great to have a few extra and uh, new events and locations this year for World Helicopter Day. And definitely, you know, if you're listening uh, and you're a company and you want to get people in and celebrate helicopter flying and share your passion with others, then definitely get involved for next year. So I'll give you some details for that shortly. But definitely here at the Brisbane event in Australia, we had 11 helicopters on display. We had you know, several hundred people through the gates. Uh, again, heaps of kids just super interested in learning about helicopters and, and seeing them in the local area. And for many of them, it's the first time they've ever been up close and, and touched a helicopter. So we had joy flights on the day as well. So we had 107 people go for, for joy flights uh, here. We actually had to basically turn people away. We just couldn't uh, get through them quick enough. So that was a really big day for us here in Brisbane. And again, you know, all the events, you can see videos, news articles, uh, photos on uh, Facebook for the main Facebook page there at World Helicopter, uh, sorry, at facebook.com forward slash World Helicopter Day. And again, the Hong Kong one was amazing too. They had marching bands, they had helicopters flying in on the actual harbour waterfront uh, there in Hong Kong. And they had like custom shirts made up for all the, the volunteers. So uh, look, a big thanks to Akali and Peter from the Hong Kong Aviation Club. They've actually mailed me a, a Hong Kong World Helicopter Day volunteer shirt. Uh, so I've got that. I'll have to share some photos. So thanks very much, guys, for sending the uh, the shirt through. So for 2018, it's Sunday the 19th of August, and we'll obviously plug that as we get uh, closer to that date. Uh, in the meantime, if you go to worldhelicopterday.com, you can uh, sign up there for email alerts for next year as things start rolling and get organised for that. Today we've got a little bit of a change of pace as we we go behind the scenes of the largest helicopter-themed page on Facebook with its founder and admin. So here we go. Aaron Kenworthy, welcome to the Rotary Wing Show. Thanks, Mick. I really appreciate it. Hey, that, that's good. We've got a uh, whole heap of different things we're going to talk about uh, today, but you're obviously the, the founder and one of the admins of the, the helicopter page on Facebook, and I've got it here in front of me at the moment, and it's just over 400,000 followers on the page, so we'll get into the details about that shortly and some stats and things like that and how it got started. But yeah, why the helicopter page and not the, the lawnmower page? 
<laughs> well, it's quite a story. Um, I, I suppose it started when I attended secondary schooling uh, through high school. I went to a specialist aviation college, and through that college, I, uh, I learned to uh, study fixed wing aviation. And there was no rotary aviation options at the time. And I suppose towards the ending of my schooling, around year 11, year 12, I decided I wanted to make the change uh, and, and look towards flying helicopters because it was, it, was, it was the passion that I had as a kid. And uh, I went around and had a look at some online resources and I found that, you know, that there was a real big gap for the rotary market. There was a lot of fixed-wing sites. There was a lot of fan sites that you could follow that could help sponsor you. But when it came to the helicopter industry itself, there really was... Uh, something lacking in, in that regard. And I said, you know what, it's, it's time for me to be able to sort of fill the gap. But the secondary reason I called it uh, the helicopter page and, and the reason it started was the fact that um, at that age, I didn't have enough money to afford flying. So I needed another outlet that I could sort of uh, show my passion and, and sort of encourage others at the same time. And it was a fantastic outlet and I wasn't expecting it to take off like it did no pun intended, but uh, it, it's it's gone absolutely fantastic, and it's been a it's been a thrill. No worries, and you you put your toe in the water in terms of helicopter flying. So, talk about um, you know how far you got, and sort of how you found the transition from from fixed wing. Yeah, so in regards to the fixed wings training, I I studied the flight for around five five years. Now, it wasn't correct lessons and, and hands on instruction. It was more going up and learning and a lot of uh, education and stuff like that. But it was enough to tell me that it wasn't really what I wanted to do. It was it was a bit mainstream. It was a bit boring in regards to the excitement level I was after. It was more you take off, you put it into trim, and then you can you just sit back and have a cup of tea. What, meanwhile, you know, helicopters always fascinated me because you're constantly flying. So when I took my first trial flight at the age of around 16 or 17, it, it, it was a fantastic experience. It was it was full on. It was it was hands on, and it felt like you were really flying the aircraft. It was a completely different experience to what I had experienced in the past with fixed wing aircraft, and it's sort of what ignited that passion to continue. And I didn't get too far into the training. I think I've only gotten up to 15 or 20 hours in combination between three flight schools. And it wasn't enough to go solo because uh, you needed to take it in your sort of rapid succession of each other uh, to be able to get the benefits of the learning. And I could never afford it. But, you know, here's hoping that it uh, comes into the future and, uh, and we'll see how we go. Yeah, definitely wouldn't be the, the first person ever that uh, cost has been a you know a stumbling block for people going through. That's correct. And there's other options such as, you know, TAFE enrolment that you can take and you can get a uh, government loan to help sponsor that. But in the position I was, uh, 18 years old, moved to Brisbane by himself and uh, without any support or anything, it's just not a logical option to take at this stage. That's why I dedicate my time to running the site on Facebook and it's still remaining to be that outlook for me and it, it, it's great to see that it's influencing other people's decisions and inspiring others as well. Okay, so let's talk about the early days then. So obviously, you know, you started Blank Slate on uh, on Facebook and what were some of the the, uh, the early feedback and I guess the, uh, the early successes? Ah, uh, so it initially started as it was called Helicopter Enthusiast before it was known as the Helicopter Page. And the only reason I changed that later on was his uh, suggestion of a really good friend of mine, Ryan Mason, who uh, owns the uh, Hollywood magazine. And he said, you know, it's just not going to hit the market. It's not going to really inspire people if you keep it 
uh, as helicopter enthusiasts. But when I did start it, we sat around 6,000 likes for, for a couple of years. That was the most I was getting. It didn't look like it was going to expand much. But then I decided to um, take down a marketing strategy and, and try and get the the likes up and the shares up. So I started sharing more content and and more content that would inspire and, and sort of get people to say, wow, this is pretty cool. And I remember the very first video I shared that really hit the market was uh, one of uh, an MD500 and it was hovering low under over the water and it was uh, providing a uh, rescue training mission. And people thought that was absolutely fantastic watching someone get pulled out of the ocean and into loaded into this helicopter. And, you know, it was just fantastic to see how versatile it was. And it really took off. And, and next minute, you know, I went to sleep and a couple of nights later and we're up 25,000, 30,000 likes. So I can really thank the success of that one video that I shared. And you would just continue to keep going through that role and, and trying to find content and sharing it that's going to inspire and, and get out into the industry. And it's just taken off fantastically. And the page has grown up to 400,000 in oh, within the space of two years, which is just incredible. Now, there's obviously, like, you know, across Facebook, there's heaps of pages with, you know, millions and millions of followers mm-hmm. and things like that. But but how does that cool. compare inside the helicopter industry compared to manufacturers and things like that? So you're sitting there at 400,000. What are some of the, uh, mm-hmm. you know, the big helicopter manufacturers and things like that sitting at? We have a look at the big uh, helicopter manufacturers and stuff like that. If, if you go on their social media, so you isolate it and you direct it directly to Facebook itself, they don't have the biggest following. They're around 150, 200,000, um, you know, depending on their make. And the, the reason most of those companies are liked are because they're well known. People look up the name and want to be associated with that brand or product. In regards to us, 400,000, which was slow to get with. It was. It's more been displayed to me that it's more industry professionals and stuff that are starting to come across and follow the site, and I can see that by doing surveys and and, and seeing trying to uh, engage with the community and the audience to see what our uh, marketing base is at the moment. And four hundred thousand, you know, we've just taken over. I, I think it's the lead at the moment when you designate it to helicopter oriented content only. There are much bigger pages out there which have you know millions and stuff but they're uh, a combination of other aviation such as fixed wing which is more popular in the industry uh, there's a lot more demand and interest for commercial flying operations and, and, and a lot of kids want to follow that and a lot of adults want to see that as well so when you're just targeting the, the helicopter industry itself and, and and not sharing anything else it's a very slow building process but to see the, the audience come up and the demand for it, it it's, it's been fantastic. And what's the mix? Like, is it purely people in the in the industry, or are you starting to sort of breach across different borders and, and pull people into into the rotary world? Definitely uh, going across different borders and, and pulling a lot more people in. So you'll find that when we do publish uh, certain content, uh, there'll be debates, and we normally call for debates in the in the comment sections because we want to stir up interest and we want to get a conversation going. And you'll see comments from other experienced pilots and industry professionals such as uh, maintenance engineers and stuff like that. But you'll also see the the general mainstream comments from a a community of interested people that want to make a leap. And sometimes they'll go on and and, and say, oh, you know, this this video or this content has inspired me. I want to get here. How do I get that? And I also suppose the the other way we can tell is we receive a lot of messages into the, the website itself from a lot of interested individuals saying, hey, this is who I am, this is where I am, how do I get started and what can I do? 
and you know I'm always happy to oblige to uh, respond to those comments and try and point those uh, uh, happy individuals in the uh, right place. In terms of content, like how how you're sourcing the content, what are your sort of go to uh, areas to uh, you know discover things? Is it people who are sending you know messages to the page, or have you got a, a certain different places that you go and check things out? So there's numerous ways we source our content. Uh, we, we try to get the community to try and engage with the site as well. Uh, we do get quite a bit sent into us, but also uh, through running the site, I've met a lot of uh, pages and other groups in the same industry, and through casual strolling through social media, YouTube, um, you got uh, the Reddit site for helicopters as well, and, and Blade Slapper. Using all a combination of all those sources, I'm able to find uh, a lot of content to be able to share. But we do try to filter it so it's it's interesting stuff and, and, and unique content we're sharing. It's not just general flying videos. Uh, something that's always bringing, uh, displaying something differently each and every time, such as, you know, daring rescues and, and other operations such as that, which can uh, inspire and uh, keep people interested. Have you had a couple of sort of favourite stories come across in terms of things you would never thought of or weren't aware of that you sort of discovered this way? Uh, yeah, I mean, the, you always find those, the, the sort of content which says, oh, I didn't realise you could do that. I, I suppose there isn't anything that sort of shocked me to say, I, I can't believe they've, uh, they can do this with this aircraft. It's more seeing the potential of how the aircraft can be thrown around and, and, and seeing what sort of operations they can be used for and how they can be used. And you can really sit back and appreciate some of those videos and say, well, that person, you know, is a fantastic pilot and they have great control over the aircraft and, and they're pushing it to the max to be able to perform a safe job. Uh, but then again, we do also receive videos which are, you know, quite unsafe and, and, and show recklessness. And you have to draw a fine line if you want to be able to talk about that and address the issue with the public saying, you know, this is reckless and this is my opinion. Best to have a healthy debate about it so the community can learn about what is safe and, and how to conduct uh, uh, safe operations in the future. Or, you know, we tend to try and avoid posting stuff like that because it just gets a bit reckless sometimes. When you're mixing industry professionals with a lot of uh, the community which don't have that experience, you do get quite heated comments because they are sort of, they're not manipulated, but they just, they're not educated in that specific way. So the conversations don't always go to the best uh, the direction because they're, they're sort of misleading. So that's why we try to avoid using uh, negative videos and stuff like that but it's always good to find uh, interesting videos which teach me and, and hopefully can teach others so uh, i don't know if you guess have you kind of like developed that editorial voice in like you're talking about how you filter what you're going to post or not and whether you think it's reckless or not is there a you know a particular tone you're trying to hit then it really comes down to gut feeling and you have to say you will does this look right? Does this not look right? And there's been quite a bit of content that was posted that I've tried to stir that healthy debate. And there was a recent video of a, uh, a squirrel helicopter carrying a Bambi bucket doing some firefighting operations. And that was more of a, a post that I, I wanted. I wasn't 100% sure, you know, if that was correct flying, if, if, if it was skilled or if it was reckless. It was more something that I was posting for myself to see if I could stir up a debate and get the correct answer. But that video ended up going extremely viral on the site and um, I think over 20 or 30 million people watched it. And uh, unfortunately, you know, it, we did get a lot of negative feedback from that sort of that sort of site saying, you know, it, it was reckless and stuff. And 
the main thing is you want to be able to associate our page with safe operations and and so that's where the uh, secondary administration comes from. You just got to have that gut feeling to say, is this going to affect my image if I want to branch out and work with other business industry partners or or professionals itself? So that's where the uh, the administration comes from. But it's more trial and error. I've learned it over time. Aaron, so it's obviously Facebook, you know, page is is ticking over pretty well. What's the plans then in terms of building, you know, from that? Is that you're looking to sort of step off Facebook and bring that sort of audience elsewhere as well? Yeah, absolutely. So I would love to make the leap to get off that platform and move towards other ventures uh, such as YouTube and and uh, having our own website established with content forums and stuff like that. You know, sort of mimicking Blade Slapper, but advancing it to a whole other level, which can provide a, a one and all platform for everyone around the world. Uh, but we also want to designate it towards Australia as well and, and be locally involved in Australia as we're situated in Brisbane. And I, I guess the main goal is as a a student myself in secondary schooling and not having an option to take a rotary class and, and, and learn about rotary aviation itself, I would love to be able to set up a program and work closely with more schools in the future and, and get some sort of partnership going so we can sort of get the name out and the awareness of the industry and say, hey, it still exists, it's popular, it's in demand, and this is what you know the industry needs to do to evolve to be able to keep going and growing in the future and it would be great to be able to step off that platform and, and, and basically establish ourselves as a, uh, a provider or a sponsorship company to be able to sponsor those students like myself who just don't have the money to get started but still need to try and experience that flight. Um, giving them the, the, the taste of the flight is, is probably the best gift of all once you get that aviation bug catch on. Um, I'm sure we've all had it. It's fantastic. So that's what I would love to share with others. Awesome. Okay. Well, we haven't actually mentioned the page, so it's, it's facebook.com forward slash the helicopter page. Uh, and again, if you're, if you're on, on Facebook or even Google, you pretty much just type in the helicopter page and uh, that'll get you there if you're listening to this and you can follow that and, and check out the content. And uh, Aaron, yeah, you definitely you know surface a lot of stuff from, from all over the web in the one spot. Uh, so it's pretty, pretty uh, cool. So, hey, so the other thing we spoke about, we were going to chat, you know, a bit of the state of the industry. So, you know, again, running the page, you're seeing and getting feedback from, you know, all across the globe from different areas and stuff like that, not just from what you're finding to, to post, but also the messages you're getting through. Yeah, do you want to give a – we're also recording this in September uh, 2017, so things will, will change over time. But what are some of the the trends and some of the, the global state of the industry things that, you, that you're sort of seeing come through? It's more the uh, the advancement into drone technology and the the push to going through electrical uh, engines and stuff like that. We're sort of seeing a demand shift towards the drone industry away from the the helicopter industry itself. And you know we need to be able to prepare ourselves for that advancement and and that change and trend as. Uh, Businesses and companies want to go to cost-effective solutions and, and hence why drones have really taken off. And I think what we need to do is educate the, the current industry and say, well, this is what we're facing. This is where the industry is swinging and it's okay to move over to the drone side as well. But the other thing I'd like to talk about is, as you've stated with the oil and gas industry, that's taken a massive hit with the, the, the crash recently of the, the Super Puma aircraft and the grounding of that. And unfortunately... 
I find that the oil and gas industry, the only limelight that's been coming out of that is the fact that there's been these accidents and that's the only time it makes it on the news. It's been negative feedback. And the way we need to advance is we need to look at new technology. It's something that's going to influence the industry in a beneficial way. And I'd definitely like to see them incorporate that electrical technology like Tesla's taking on and Elon Musk. And it'll be fantastic to be able to integrate that with our current engines we're using in turbine helicopters to make it more cost-effective and to build a hybrid, which will affect the industry later on so we're not using as much fuel and we're getting a much better cost-effective solution so we can sort of pair up against those drones and, and hopefully take back the market. Yeah, I don't know. Like, I, I got to push back on that one a little bit because uh, mm. it's interesting. So, again, just even today, reading articles about um, you know electric cars and stuff like that. And so, mm. Shell still had about twenty thirty as their estimate for uh, for peak oil uh, demand. Uh, so, I guess it's mm. a you know crossover in demand in electrical electric vehicles, uh, but then still demand mm. in industry and stuff from developing countries. So, whereas you know petroleum use is is declining, possibly you know due to cars, there's still the uptick mm-hmm. in in developing countries needing you know plastics and and manufacturing and things like that. So, anyway, so they've basically peaked you know twenty thirty as as mm. the peak peak demand. And again, a whole heap of cars manufacturers, so I think Jaguar was the last one, or Range Rover come out. So essentially mm-hmm. they're, you know, talking about twenty twenty four as basically most of the major manufacturers switching over to electric cars. So yeah, there's, there's that sort of thing on, on on the vehicle side, but I think it comes down to you know the debate of energy density. And, mm-hmm. and I guess if you follow those different threads, it's still you know, the energy density for, you know, for the next sort of decade or so, it's still hard to beat what you get in, in fuel. So, of course. yeah, you know, but the, the car market's moving so quickly. So it'd be interesting to see what they get out of that in terms of new batteries and, and energy density. But I think the, I reckon the electric helicopter, like a, a full-size working machine could still be a bit further off than that. But yeah, I don't know. We'll have to look back in a couple of years and see how that side of things has gone. Absolutely. I, I, I'd recommend that uh, we can encourage that these industries start looking into electrical hybrid technology because I, I definitely don't see the, the, the full electrical helicopter coming out anytime soon, but more the fact that if we can integrate these batteries to, to make a more efficient turbine solution which uses less petrol because we know turbines are just so damn expensive it might uh, boost the demand for the helicopters in the industries itself as a a more cost-effective solution than they are now because the current trend i'm seeing right now is just the prices is just going up and up and up and with maintenance and 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 everything coming into play it's just it's sort of going out of reach and, and coming out of grass so other companies and businesses businesses are looking for new newer ways and more cost-effective solutions to try and get the job done yeah so we'll follow that because yeah obviously weight is always against you in a helicopter with the batteries but mm. actually i hadn't thought about it in terms of like a hybrid because turbines essentially mm. you know you get your most sort of power for performance type thing at, at fairly high rpms and a lot of time <laughs> if you you know if you're cruising around you've got a, a lower power setting but if i guess if you weren't driving the rotors directly with the uh, the turbine, in in fact, you were just purely driving a uh, you know a generator. You could have the turbine actually spinning at a at a higher power setting, which would be slightly more uh, fuel efficient while it was doing the charging. But uh, yeah, that's no, different thought on that. 
but mm. definitely on on the drone control size, like it still amazes me. You can go out and buy like a two hundred dollar drone and pick it up, and it'll hover in the one spot with, with no touching. When you think about how hard it is to teach someone for us, like everyone who's you know flies a helicopter has gone through that learning process of learning how to hover. It's it's such a difficult skill initially to pick up, but as soon as you can turn it into a circuitry, you know, you can basically roll those off the line and every single uh, controller, uh, once you've solved the problem once, uh, every single controller can then just sit there and hover on a, you know, a $200 drone. So I, I can see that, you know, that's, I can see that stuff coming across much quicker than um, the natural electric building power. But uh, yeah, it's Absolutely. amazing. Like, you know, you, you sit there and struggle for a couple of hours learning how to hover. And uh, yeah, you know, an off the shelf in the hobby store uh, drone can do it better. But I, I don't think they're ever going to get the appreciation we get till we finally master that stable hover without having to uh, go around the loops and uh, struggle like we're riding a bull. I think that was uh, one of the best parts about learning to fly is trying to master the hover because it's just so challenging and it's just what separates, you know, helicopter pilots from fixed wing pilots. It's just an extra level of difficulty and uh, complexity. So uh, I get the satisfaction. It, it's really enjoyable. It's, it, it's, it's fantastic. And I, I don't think drone pilots will ever get to experience the, uh, the amount of fun we get trying to ride that bull. Yeah, but that's what I mean. I think it'll disappear. Like, you know, it's such a a human skill, but in in terms of, you know, new machines and things like that, like there's no need mm. there's no need to to know how to do that if if the machine can do it better for you and you can then control the machine to fly it around. Um so mm. uh, yeah, I reckon the days of of having to learn how to hover could be uh, you know, again, it's, 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 it comes down to costing and pushing that down to, to training machines. But technically, um, you know, there's enough large machines out there with auto hover capabilities and things like that. And, and the new Sikorsky optional piloted mm-hmm. Blackhawks and Caymans and things like that floating around that, mm-hmm. yeah, I, I just I think that hovering skill will just be eventually eclipsed uh, by, you know, avionics and, and controllers. You never know, and they might even get rid of the uh, the collective control one day, and it's just all going to be done by one uh, one input. So we'll have to see how we go. <laughs> that'll be interesting, but that'll be years and years and in you know, the development. But the good thing about the uh, the auto hover and that sort of stuff, I guess that's going to add an extra level of safety when it comes to IFR operations and stuff when you just can't see out of the uh, the windshield. You know, you never know what's going on. There you go. What about um? You know the cost of certifying new aircraft. Like, what what new aircraft are you aware of at the moment that are going through certification? Uh, I was chasing the uh, the Bell five hundred five that was uh, going through the market itself. I am um, following my feeds, and then I saw the very first certification in the world. But it's a, it's, a, it's a really lengthy process, and unfortunately, it's it's an area I don't know too much information about. But I'm not 100% sure on the costs either, but it does look like it's a struggle for industries to be able to get that certification, get their the products you know, off the line and into different countries ready to fly for other operators to use. So other operators who are looking for an aircraft that have the capabilities that they're after, you know, they might have to wait just that longer to, just to be able to get their, their aircraft shipped to them because of the, the, the slow halt that there is in, in getting them uh, registered. There's a couple of... Uh, and again, it's normally at the small end of the, the market because I guess that's where 
it's more cost effective, but there's quite a few two seat turbine uh, machines starting to, to come through as well as, uh, mm. uh, you know, again throughout Europe and uh, I can't remember the name of one in South Africa. But yeah, again, the, like that end of the market, there seems to be a little bit of movement, um, especially on the, on the turbine side of things. Mm-hmm, absolutely. It, it's an area I love to get uh, more into and, and, and sort of explore and, and see the technology. Uh, the best thing is we're, we're aiming at heading towards the uh, Heli Expo uh, one of the years to be able to see these advancements and see these come off the line and the news. But uh, it, I'd love to see a smaller turbine aircraft come into place because while turbines are great, you know, they're just uh, full, much safer than, of course, mechanical piston engines and stuff like that. So... It's always fascinated me, and I believe um, Aeropower had a little yellow turbine aircraft. I wasn't 100% sure what that was on the helicopter day. Yeah, recently. so that was a, a right-away exec. Uh, it's a, a kit build, and that one had, that one had a, a turbine add-on kit on it. So, yeah, built built here in, in Brisbane by the owner, and up close it looks beautiful. Like, the, the build quality is fantastic on it. So, not sure how it flies, but uh, it's... Definitely, you know, it looks different, and that's a. It was a restricted class, so you can take passengers, but can't do any, um, any charter work or any uh, any work on in that regard. So yeah, that was that was well, different. But how would you like to take that for a commute to work? And uh, that would be fantastic. What a great toy! <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Not a cheap one, but uh, yeah, uh, good fun. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> and the other the other cool one is it's a Swiss one, and again, I, I can't pull the name off the top of my head, but it's a. Uh, you know, basically a utility machine. It's the size of a two hundred six or slightly larger in that sort of range, but it's got it's got clear flooring. So there's actually a window down pretty much under the collective. Uh, so where you're sitting there, you can actually look straight down through the bottom of the helicopter and see the the hook and the load and things like that down through the floor. So that's you know, <laughs> again, it's probably you know it's just different. Like it's once you've seen it in one machine, it kind of makes idea makes sense that it's something you do is you have a you know, a Perspex window on, on the floor so you can actually look straight down through it. But as far as I know, that's the only helicopter with it. That's uh, that's actually quite interesting. As simple as it is, I've never really thought of that idea. I've always been used to the idea of the bubble windows that you look out of. But um, that just seems more simple and, and, and more sense to me to be able to integrate that into the, the flooring of a, uh, the, the helicopter itself. That I'm sure that would help with uh, crew resource management and, and be able to do a job more effective. But how interesting. Yeah, well, especially for external load stuff, you know, be able to look down and actually see how the load's flying or seeing the hookup and things like that. I imagine you're still going to have your head out the side most of the time, but it's just, you know, again, you normally think where the, the collective is, it's normally floor underneath that uh, and having that window down there. The other cool thing I've seen, and I guess tying back to, to drones, is I've seen a, a drone basically stripped of the, the arms and the propellers and everything uh, mounted on the bottom of a helicopter uh, so the the camera points down, and you can slew the camera. And in the cockpit, with a was an iPad, and basically it was Bluetooth to the drone. So you can imagine a drone with the arms and, and all the flying bits taken off it, but all the electric and, and, the, and the camera on the bottom of the helicopter, and then with the the video remoted into an iPad on the um, on the dash. Uh, so you can actually yeah, again get a video looking straight down uh, inside the dash. So yeah, that's a, that's a, something different. <laughs> what a great idea. What about international differences? So, you know, obviously we are sitting here, and it's quite rare actually to talk to someone in, in Brisbane. So we're probably, you know, 30, 40 Ks away from each other, even though we're still talking cool. on Skype. But, you know, the Australian market is, is pretty different 
and I guess mainly we see stuff coming out of the US. The um, we don't see too much of the the training and first job type thing in the European market from over here. But what are some of the differences you've noticed between the different markets? Well, there's there's I feel that there's more demand and, and, and the industry is more evolving in the United States because that's just where it's originating from. And it, it's interesting to be able to get the perspective from someone in the United States to a, a young CPL uh, pilot who's, who's just come out of training and looking for his first job in, a, in Australia. And right now, the, the, the industry is facing... Uh, it's going to open up a lot more positions, in my opinion, in the United States when all the experienced Viet, uh, Vietnam pilots uh, start to retire and, and those seats start need uh, to be filled. And the, the industry between Australia and the United States, the reason why it's so interesting is the fact that the United States is facing a demand in regards to trying to ferry ships at a price, getting, getting the students to pay for those ferries. And... That, that to me just sort of blows me out of the water. You know, you, you spent all this X amount of money trying to get your commercial license, trying to get into your first job, and now the students are being asked to fork out more money just to be able to build up those hours to become employable. It's interesting to, to see the, the the differences between the two sides. Australia itself is, I'm seeing a, a bigger base uh, towards the mustering side and, and the sort of agricultural work out here. And then uh, towards, you know, the United States itself, it, it's a bit of an interesting uh, topic because it, it's not something I have too much insight into. But the one thing I can say that's the same between Australia and the United States is, you know, there are a lot of students out there that are trying to get, you know, their, their first positions, but they're just struggling to get through that first hurdle of claiming that first job. And unfortunately, you know, it's, it's just something, a crisis the industry is facing where we're promoting all these positions which are open, trying to get as many students in. And now we're just having this huge influx in pilots. So that's why it really comes down to, you know, it's not about what you know, it's who you know, and, and having to sort of self-market yourself and get your name out into the industry to be able to get into the, the, the spotlight itself, the, the claim that first job. And I know multiple people that are definitely trying to take that route, but it's, it's not an easy task. You have to be, you know, really dedicated to be into this industry and, and try to get your first gig rolling into it. But in regards to the, the the main differences between Australia and the United States, I don't see too many. It, it's still rotating, but I guess you know, in time, it'll be interesting to get some further insight and and, and try and compare it. Yeah, and that that line about the uh, the Vietnam vets retiring—that's been basically for the last twenty years. That's what uh, people have been been saying. So I don't know if it's going to have that much uh, <laughs> that much Im- impact on the on demand uh, side of things. Mm. But uh, yeah, ever since I've been in flying, that's <laughs> always been the the line people have been pushing out that uh, it's this huge body of, of Vietnam vets that have uh, blocking the system <laughs> up. But, uh, I'm not sure, especially now in 2017, how many, uh, you know, how that's sitting. But uh, yeah, it'll definitely, well, we'll talk in a moment, uh, you know, about some things that people can do in terms of, you know, personal branding and, and trying to get those first couple of steps up. But uh, the, the other big difference between the US and Australia, and again, uh, you know, especially for the US listeners listening, may not kind of be aware that the career route, very much in the States, is you go to a flying school. You uh, you know get your CPL, you get your your instrument rating, which again is something we don't really do in Australia at all. You know, we don't really touch instrument gear at all until later in our career. But then you go straight into flight instruction, and so yeah, they'll go, great. yeah, you know, straight from training into training someone else, and generally do that for the first thousand hours, and then start getting into tour work and go from there. Where in Australia, the yeah, it's definitely 
really, really different. Generally, folks will normally go straight into tour work or some other kind of work first and then come back later in their careers when they've got a bit more experience uh, back as instructors. Uh, so, it's sort of, you can argue, you know, different pros and cons in that regard, but that's a really big difference, especially in the training side of things between uh, Australia and the US, that sort of progression where it's almost expected in the US from, you know, all the stuff I've seen that you will become a flight instructor and that's how you get your hours and then you move on from being a flight instructor to other things. So, yeah, that's something different between our two countries. And really accurate. It's hard to sort of, you know, it's a pretty small sample and I have no idea what happens in Europe and in Africa uh, and places like that. So, uh, listening, the, uh, uh, you know, mm. yeah, 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 send a message in and <laughs> let us know how the basic career structure works in, in your country. All right, Aaron, so your your day job, we haven't covered it already, but you're actually um, involved in marketing uh, for a law firm. I actually, uh, I do I do IT for a law firm. Okay. So, I, um, I'm the manager of a, uh, a law firm that's in uh, the Brisbane CBD, and I just manage the IT. It's also another passion of mine. Uh, I quite like the IT industry and, and that sort of regards. I've always been a technical person, and it's what I do for a full-time job, and I'm very grateful to have you know, that, that full-time work itself. So to be able to uh, come into work and, and be able to appreciate what I do, you know, I'm very gifted to be able to uh, uh, be in the position I am. Yeah, and, and again, obviously, we were chatting before, you know, it's a small world because I, I did a year and a half as marketing manager uh, for a law firm too. So I guess this next part, we'll talk about uh, personal branding and, you know, some ideas and tips. Uh, it's sort of a lot of it's going to be online related and sort of leveraging, of you know, some of our, our backgrounds there. So, yeah, so let's talk about personal branding and how you see it as a, you know, how important do you think it is in aviation, especially online, that idea of personal branding? Well, I believe it's probably the most important step to getting your career into aviation is personal branding and investing a lot of time and showing a professional standard in yourself and, and marking yourself out because there is a lot of contestants and a lot of contenders in that that one spot that are trying to get the same job you're getting and the main goal at the end of the day is to say okay this is who I am I'm going to reach out I'm going to market myself I'm going to project myself and keep an active online personality. So, you know, being active on these forums and uh, the latest websites such as, you know, Reddit and Facebook and stuff like that, and especially LinkedIn. LinkedIn is, is fantastic to have your own uh, professional profile on yourself. The main goal is to, you know, sort of build up that that image of yourself that you can project to other companies. So when they hear your name, they recognize it. Or they've definitely heard it somewhere before. You want to get them to uh, spike that interest and say, oh, I know that person. I've, I've heard their name in so-and-so group. I've heard of this. I, I remember them publishing this. And it, it sparks that interest to say, okay, I'm going to look into this person's resume, you know, an extra step and, and evaluate them uh, to a whole nother level. And you know, it's definitely what they say, you know, it's not what you know, it's who you know. And the main thing is you want to reach out and you want to get those contacts in the industry because it's just going to help you get into the position you want. And I've seen people that have come out and have made a complete ass of themselves in their personality online and that has completely jeopardized their career or, you know, uh, someone who's, who's bragged about it getting a position and, and the, that company has uh, gained access to seeing that information online and, and totally uh, axed their employment contract on the spot because they weren't happy with that uh, professional standard. So you need to definitely conduct yourself in a professional standard online and, and constantly market yourself and, and do your best to try and, you know, uh, to not sink and you, you want to be able to swim in, the, in this industry and get on top of it. 
Cool. So let's let's break that down for some specifics. And so mm. again, just the way the industry works, and whether you you know you say it's insurance drives it or whatever it is, it's it's hours, hours, hours is the, <laughs> pretty much the the first sure. thing, and then everything comes after that. So you know, it, it always comes back to hours and experience, and then these are sort of other things you can then use to differentiate yourself. Yeah, you said you know it's it's your network and it's it's who you know, and I think every chief pilot I've ever spoken to has got. You know, a filing cabinet or a, a, a bin uh, full of CVs and, and, and resumes because they just keep, you know, they just get them arriving on email or just cold, cold dropping their CVs in. Again, especially, you know, in Australia, there's more people looking for those jobs than there necessarily is those jobs there. So it, to be able to, you know, have your name recognized. So when you're talking with someone or, or your CV goes across their desk, uh, and they have some kind of connection with you. So whether, you know, you've rung them up and spoken or you've visited in person, as opposed to just having a, a CV with a name on it that they've got no connection whatsoever. So I think it's just a, you know, we're, we're social animals as, as humans and you sort of have to have that bit of, uh, you know, tribal uh, connection. When you meet up with someone, you say, oh, yeah, I was in the military. They say, oh, do you know so-and-so? And you sort of start looking for that, you know, somewhere in your network, a connection. Yeah, people describe it as being a tribal thing. Then if you can find that connection somewhere or other, then you immediately have a, a higher opinion of that person because they know someone that you know. Absolutely, that's that's correct. So Dan Dan Sullivan is a he's a business coach, but he has these things called the uh, his referability habits. So there's four things: it's show up on time, do what you say, finish what you start, and say please and thank you. So really four super simple things, um, but I think they're pretty crucial in, in everything we do in aviation because you, you are dealing with people all the time. It's not just customers, you know, the, the pilots you go and see, the people you work with. And, and I think especially if you're trying to get that foot in the door early in your career, those things are, you know, pretty, pretty critical. Absolutely. They can have such a, a crucial impact on, on your career itself. And, you know, the, the, the such simple things to do. And, you know, they can just progress you so much uh, more forward than any other person if, they, if they're following that, the same principle as well. So it's the main thing you want to designate yourself around, and that's just your personal image and, and being that uh, upholding person. So if if people want to look at their LinkedIn profile at the moment, can you suggest a couple of areas they should sort of focus in or a couple of features on LinkedIn that they should look at uh, populating? You don't have to. I know a lot of people say you need to get the uh, the professional side of LinkedIn, the, the paid subscription, which to me is complete bogus. The, the main thing you want to do is you want to build up your, you want to keep your LinkedIn profile as detailed as possible, uh, sort of not keep it as a resume sort of format, but you want to have your experience up there and and, and detailed parts about yourself so that other people may be able to associate and say, oh, this is where I know this person from. But you also, with your LinkedIn profile, you want to use it to network and, and, and be able to network and, and share your profile around with other people and, and sort of communicate and engage with them as well so they can see, you know, what your status is and, and what you've been uh, doing recently. So you just want to keep that community uh, engagement up. But the main thing about LinkedIn is don't treat it like it's Facebook. You need to treat it like it's your professional image and, and your business card itself. So building it up and, and, and having a professional statements is uh, neat and it's uh, well written is, is definitely going to be in your favour. I think there's a couple of areas too that I kind of point people towards mm. and mm-hmm. especially the endorsements and the recommendations. So the difference is there, endorsements just where basically LinkedIn says, 
does you know this person know about flight safety? And you can just say you know plus one. Um, and the recommendations are more like a, a written sort of testimonial uh, type thing for you. Uh, so again, cool. you know, no one gives you these. Uh, in, the endorsements are pretty easy actually because LinkedIn sort of pushes those. But recommendations, yeah. it's almost no one will, will really give you a recommendation unless you've actually asked for it. Uh, so if you do have a yeah. you know network and um, you know a past boss or whether it's in aviation or anything, you, people you can actually you know ask uh, for a recommendation. Uh, and, and send the link to that. That's pretty much the only way you're going to get those recommendations. And, and again, the, the combination of the two is just that sort of social proof that you're not some crazy person. You've got some people who can actually uh, vouch for you. And the endorsements especially give a, a quick rundown. You can get a, an idea of someone's experience by what people have endorsed them for. So, you know, they might have 40 people have endorsed them for for military or, you know, crew resource management, you know, 50 people have endorsed them for that. So immediately you get a, a quick uh, peer review from from their network on sort of what their background is. So it's better than you saying that you you know something about crew resource management uh, where mm-hmm. if other people have that sort of crowdsourced information will we'll sort of fill that in. So, yeah, I think LinkedIn and, as you said, engaging, so actually checking it and, and commenting on other people's posts or, again, doing something similar to what you do on the, on the helicopter page is going finding interesting yeah. information and going actually posting that on LinkedIn uh, to start those conversations there. So, yeah, LinkedIn's a, a pretty good profile. Absolutely. Okay, uh, quickly, I'll just um, I'll throw in a couple of ones here, but obviously uh, Rotary Wing Show episode 17 is when we spoke with uh, Mark Whedon, who was a recruiter for CHC Helicopters. So that's a pretty good one to go back and check for uh, career information. And uh, CVs or resumes, uh, my go-to source for that is Manager uh, Tools. Uh, so they've got a great podcast and a website as well, uh, but they've got some pretty good formats for how to set out your CV or your resume because there's uh, if you search online, there's hundreds of different ways to, to lay it out. But again, from the ones I've seen, Aaron, the, the first thing is the chief pilots or anyone wants to know is hours, qualifications. And once you've got that out of the road, then you can go into all your personal history and stuff like that. But they don't want to have to dig down through your work history to try and find your, your quals and your, and your hours. So that always goes at the top. Absolutely. Cool. Any other tips there for keeping your network warm or, um, you know, good places to go online to, to keep abreast of things, obviously, other than the, the helicopter page? <laughs> uh, there's definitely a few good groups uh, on Facebook itself, such as Helicopter Pilot Network. That is a fantastic group that I really enjoy following. It's a good group to follow for news and, uh, and people sharing sort of content and be able to communicate and ask questions, as well as the uh, the Reddit site uh, for helicopters. I think it's r uh, helicopters. That that sublink itself is also another area where you can post questions and expect a a reply from many industry professionals. And then there's also the helicopter pilots group on Facebook now. While they try to, you know, sort of stay industry professional, I've also found it's a uh, a fantastic area to join and be able to ask questions itself. You know, there there are numerous groups on the helicopter page uh, that we share. And also on Facebook itself. And uh, the next, uh, I think the final one is Blade Slapper. Yeah, Blade Slapper is also another site that I, I used to go to when I wanted to stay up to date. But I believe uh, Blade Slapper is more Australian based. Is that correct? Yeah, yeah, very, very focused on the Australian time yeah. of the uh, New Zealand market. Uh, so yeah it's, yeah, it's very much um, uh, based down under. 
That's correct. Well, we had look a heap of points here too about you know some basic. Uh, uh, low-hanging fruit for marketing and businesses in aviation as well. But I think we're going to run out of time for those. We might have to look at doing that another time. So <laughs> we've, we've covered a bit of territory. So quickly, you know, so facebook.com forward slash the helicopter page uh, is obviously the place to go and, and have a look at what Aaron's been doing and all the content he's turning up and a really good way of keeping, you know, in touch with the industry and, and what's going on. Uh, but is there any, you know, any other tips for people starting out in the industry, you know, that you found really useful or you've been passing on to other people that they've said, you know, thanks heaps for that? For people starting out in the industry, it's more – the best comment and advice I can give is for more people that are looking to start out into the industry and get into flight training. And they'll ask, a, you know, a bunch of questions, how do I get started, what do I do? The best tip I can get is just research your local flight school and book in your trial flight and go there Assessive, it's definitely something you want to do, get that hands-on experience and then spend that dedicated time with your instructor and talk about the industry and how you're going to be able to progress, what are the steps involved and, and, and sort of and get a plan in place and say, okay, this is what I can expect and, and this is how we're going to do it because, uh, you know, a flight school can provide much better information and, and can help you get uh, to where you need to go. Pretty spot on. That sounds great. <laughs> all right aaron look thank you so much for for sharing your time and, and talking about those different bits and pieces and again look an awesome job with the, the helicopter page and the uh, you know the amount of following and that you've been able to build up there so hopefully we'll see that growth crack through half a million in the next short period and looking forward to, to seeing how else you can sort of branch out and, and bring some value to the industry that way fingers crossed thank you very much Mick, for uh, having me on the show it's been fantastic Okay, that was Aaron Kenworthy, who was the founder and admin for the helicopter page on Facebook. So again, if you can find that really easily by either going to Google or a Facebook search and just typing in the helicopter page and check it out that way. So if you do drop by the page, you know, drop a note and let Aaron know that you've heard him here on the show, and that'd be awesome to see the sort of reach we can get there. And again, you know, heaps of news and articles uh, and uh, interesting videos come through on that page, and it's a good source. If you'd like to support this show and get more episodes coming out at a a faster rate, then you might be interested in checking out the page over at rotarywingshow.com forward slash support, which will basically forward you and take you through to the Patreon platform. So a big thank you to the following awesome people for the support of the podcast via that method. So Heath, Peter, Tony, Kevin, Jason, Mick, Michael, and Rendell. Look, the funds go basically to offsetting the, the hosting costs for the podcast files and the bandwidth charges every time someone downloads or streams an episode. So it's really, really uh, appreciated from my end. Thanks to everyone that's been sending in tips too uh, for who I should get on the show. I'm getting back into the swing of things, and I started to go through and try and hook up uh, those people and book them in. So if I haven't replied uh, to your email, do hit me up again, as I normally do see them actually come through, but then they get buried in amongst the the different accounts I've got. So it's definitely not that I'm ignoring you uh, by any means. In the works, we've got episodes covering crew resource management, combat search and rescue, flying in the Himalayas, laser safety, uh, and law enforcement aviation. Peter Wilson from last episode is also back home after his trip around the world. We may be able to get a quick update from him also. You can get hold of me at feedback at rotarywingshow.com or on Facebook 
at facebook.com forward slash Rotary Wing Show. It's been great to be a host again, and that's it for this episode.